Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When I was, Dave was worshiping, I thought of this song, this scripture from Proverbs 25, 11. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. And uh, I think this message series I've been giving is turning out to be sort of uh, in a direction I hadn't anticipated, but as I study it, I see it's sort of uh, like uh, an asking people to examine their hearts to see if they're still in the faith. I've been teaching on the wisdom from above, the wisdom from God. This is part three, and I'll be speaking on three other words about. I'll read James Jacob in a minute. Um, peaceable, gentle, and reasonable. But at the end of this, I will also be reading an excerpt from an article from a pastor from Canada from the Gospel Coalition. And I'll have a link on the podcast page so you can read the whole article. And let's, James chapter 3, verses 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, let him show his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and not hypocritical. So uh, that was from the Tree of Life version. And there'll probably be two more. The next time we'll talk about full of mercy and good fruits. And then uh, the last one will be impartial and not hypocritical. And we'll tie it all together. So what Paul does, it looks like he's going in one direction. And then suddenly he gets to impartial and not hypocritical and like hits the brakes and goes in the other direction. So it looks like he's saying like to be peaceable and to, some people look like you're compromising. But what he's actually doing is he's saying be peaceable, but don't compromise in the process. And we'll tie it all together. And what I want to do is do a review of the first two sermons really quickly. I recommend to people here and on, uh, in podcast land to look at the other two sermons on Wisdom from Above to review. So I'll do a quick one. I want to sort of layer it. They sort of layer on top of each other. In Sermon 1, it was the introduction. We saw in James that there are two types of wisdom when you look at James chapter 3, what you're seeing is, is that people who are wise and understanding in the Greek culture, and the Roman culture, they talked a lot about wisdom. And Paul is saying if you're wise and understanding, you'll show it by your conduct. So the wisdom you have in life 
should manifest itself in your life. And that means if you're getting wisdom that's not from God, it's going to manifest in your life with earthly, unspiritual, demonic manifestations, jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, every evil practice, which is like most of what we see in the media nowadays, which would give us a clue as to what we should and shouldn't be watching. But the wisdom from God will manifest in our midst, in our life, through purity and being peaceable and gentle and reasonable or open to reason, depending on your translation. And so the wisdom we see here and the people that propagate it have an effect on their lives. If we surround ourselves with ungodly, profane people and wisdom, then we run the risk of becoming like them. And that, as I said before, was my problem. Before they knew the Lord, I'd be surrounded by people that were profane. I became like them. I had to be, when I became a believer, I had to be very careful who I surrounded myself with or became part of. On the other hand, if we put the Lord and his word first and seek first after his kingdom and wisdom, it will change our lives for the better if we let it, him. This sermon series will deal with the issues such as this. We need to identify what is godly wisdom and let it change our lives, changing us into the image of Messiah Yeshua, as his word says it will if we let him. As Jacob James stated in his writings, wisdom from God and wisdom from man. There's two worlds there, really. God and his wisdom doesn't just seek out just the wealthy and powerful. Instead, God in his wisdom seeks out the opposite. God goes after the nobodies, the foolish ones in the eyes of the world, the not so rich and the not rich at all those without money, the disease, the poor, and not powerful at all. It's the complete opposite of what the world is looking for. All godly wisdom, if it aligns with God's word, comes from the Lord. And we studied in the first one that Yeshua is wisdom. He's not the embodiment of wisdom, because then that would mean wisdom is outside of Yeshua, but he is wisdom itself. To trust in Yeshua is to walk in wisdom. Preaching the crucified life is wisdom. God has rejected the wisdom of the world, and he says so in his word, and all its corrupted advice. Most of all, wise people show it by their godly life. In the second sermon we talked about, we started getting into the details of what wisdom is, and it's pure, it's purity. Wisdom from God is pure. It's free from defilement, sexual innuendo, or innuendo off-color remarks. It has been sifted through and winnowed, thereby making it pure. And so that means that sometimes to be wise, God has to sift us and winnow us. He has to blow the winds of his spirit, whether it's through circumstances, hard times, certainly what we're going through, we go through hard times now, and we're, I'm seeing things manifest in people's lives that maybe they had hidden. And it's uh, sobering. Pure wisdom will tell us all whether the person, pure wisdom will tell us all whether the person giving it has gone through the fire like pure gold, free from the world, 
defilement, and similar things. God himself is pure, pure beyond our wildest imagination. So as pure as we think God is, God is like beyond, it's almost a mystery how pure he is. Uh, we couldn't possibly fathom how pure he is, and we just need to be sober and realize that. Like silver, scripture says, silver purified in fire seven times, which is a symbol of perfection. Purity can be difficult to handle for believers and unbelievers alike. As a matter of fact, scripture states that in the latter days, and we're seeing it now, People will be not be able to bear up, endure, and survive under sound doctrine. That's what Paul said in the end times. Actually, in the Greek, the English translation of endure could mean the ability to or not be able to bear up under. So in the end times, the wisdom of God, the body of Messiah, certain parts of it, if they are the body of Messiah, the wisdom of God, God's word will be simply be too much for them will actually end up breaking them. So the word of God can bring us in two directions. It can either build us up or break us down if we can't handle it and don't want to handle it. So let's talk about three other terms quickly. The word of God is peaceable. What does that mean? In the original Greek, it means related to peace, peaceable. Pacific, as in pacify, loving peace. It brings peace with it. It's peaceful. It's salutary. The English dictionary for peaceable is inclined to avoid argument or violent conflict. Pacific is peaceful in character or intent, and salutary is producing good effects, beneficial. I want to deal with that because it seems like you look at Yeshua and he speaks and people react one way, but then Paul says when we manifest the word of God, it seems to be going in a different direction. In Luke 10, chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, Yeshua specifically says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house, shalom, and if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him, but if not, it will return to you. Because the wisdom from above produces peace, it can only come from the Lord and in communion with him, especially when he chastens us. So when we are trying to be, receive wisdom from God or to give wisdom to other, peace, to other people, we need to do it in a spirit of being peace, whether they want to receive it or not, a gentle and quiet spirit which can be good not just for women but for men because the wisdom from above produces peace it can only come from the Lord in communion with especially when he chastens us the amplified Bible uses the word considerate and gentle the Phillips translation says peace loving since it is obvious from scripture the four gospels that Yeshua always spoke the truth then his wisdom to those who do not know the Lord and refuse to submit to him, Yeshua, his wisdom created anger and wrath. And so when you look at the situations that Yeshua spoke to people and Paul, Yeshua would speak the truth, whether and we don't know how he said it, but it 
created wrath in people. I mean, Paul created riots. I mean, we're going to see scripture, I'll read at the end, where Paul says things that even among believers would cause churches to erupt in wrath. So we need to ask ourselves where we're at. So this must refer to the wisdom from God as it relates to the kehila of God. So God is saying when we give wisdom, well, we say it to unbelievers too, we have to check our heart, but he's talking to Paul and Yeshua is talking to the saints about how we should be dealing with one another. In context, James is speaking, James 3 is speaking to the people of God, not to the world and the unsaved. To the people of God, he's showing the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of demons. Their mind in the world rejects the word of God and his wisdom. All you have to do is look at the newspapers to see a constant barrage of people and institutions rejecting God's wisdom, thereby bringing judgment on themselves. To those who live in peace with the saints, whether they go through chastening or not, the wisdom of God should make you peaceable, humane, make you more able to bear with others, forgive injuries, not exact retribution, but instead you will do those things which then lead to peace if possible. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Shaul, Paul says, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We see here that the Lord commands us to, if at all possible, live in peace with people, particularly with the brethren. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Here we see that when undergoing the discipline of the Lord, which is actually most of the time, that is part of the process of sanctification, is being disciplined. One of the fruits is it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's part of the sanctification process. And then the author in Hebrews verse 14 of 12 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So here we see this sort of balancing act with the author where we see another command of God, if at all possible, to pursue peace with all men. But he also says on the road to holiness, sanctification, which is the balance to being peaceful. We can pursue peace, but not at the cost of our sanctification and holiness, or we run the risk of shipwrecking our faith. We end up compromising, which a lot of people and congregations have done, particularly in the last couple years. So we see that the wisdom from God above is not only peaceable, but will affect your life and cause you to, if possible, live in peace with people. Wisdom from God will change you, enabling you to bear with those who are not normally bearable. Just don't violate scripture in the process. 
Contrast that with human wisdom, which would be envious of others. It creates division, seeks its own way. Wisdom from God glorifies the Lord, not man or man's achievement. Another thing, the wisdom from God should be as gentle. In the original Greek, it means seemly, fitting, equitable, fair, moderate, appropriate. So there's a sort of similarity with purity there. It's not only pure, but it's fitting, it's equitable, it's fair, it's appropriate. Wisdom from God is seemly. It's proper, good taste, it's polite, it's restrained, it's impartial. Uh, seemly would be that conforms to accepted notions of propriety or good taste, and I would maintain that that has to be according to the standards of Scripture, not society. Because society doesn't always adhere to Scripture, as we're seeing now. Certainly didn't adhere to Scripture in, in Paul's time. So we see something similar to the use of the word pure from the last teaching. Wisdom from above is pure. It's seemly. It's proper. It's in good taste, polite. It's restrained. Do you see the relationship? Wisdom from above is not evil. It does not act rude. It does not talk rudely. It treats people with politeness, yet because it is pure and holy, it still speaks the truth to people, whether they want to hear it or not. And as we'll see in the article, I'm going to read, it's possible to speak the truth to people without Yeshua flipped over tables, but we're not Yeshua. We can't inject ourselves into the scripture. It's not about us. Other uses of the word gentle is Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Titus 3, 2. And I'll be reading this. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing consideration for all men. First, and then Timothy 3.3, I believe it's 1 Timothy, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, from the love and from the love of money, not addicted to the love of money. Wisdom from above is reflected in our lives and will be obvious to everyone. We won't be prone to extremes or idolatry. And another one quickly is reasonable. It means the wisdom from above is reasonable. It means it's ready to obey, it's compliant, it's easy to entreat. So the wisdom from above means it's discussable. It doesn't mean it's not true. It means you talk about it. And you do it in a way that's gentle and reasonable and kind, but also truth. And as we'll see later in other sermons, you stand on it, whether people like it or not. It also means in, uh, can mean a full measure of things, thoughts, feelings, full of virtue, goodness, and mercy. A secular meaning could mean full of good thoughts or bad. So to sum it up, the wisdom from above is one from the Lord, it is scriptural, it is pure, it is peaceable, it is gentle, it is reasonable. What would be the wisdom from above is pure, it's holy, it's undefiled. No sexual innuendo 
or hints of off-color remarks. It is peaceable, it is gentle, it's seemly, it's fitting, it's equitable, fair, it's moderate, it's appropriate, it's reasonable, it's obedient, it's compliant, and it's easy to entreat, it's discussable. And all this is leading to a point that something I brought up in the other uh, two messages is how we behave online, and I'm including myself in this. You see where this is going? Does it sound like the conversations you have with others, or is it convicting you of sin? Does it reflect not only your in-person behavior with others, does it also reflect your online behavior on the computer and social media? And I want to read excerpts of an article I came across this week from the Gospel Coalition in Canada on watching out for our online behavior. And the, the gentleman, I'll give his short biography in a minute, wants to know, is it biblical? Do you know that the Lord will not only judge us for our in-person behavior and how we treat others, but also how we behave online and how we behave toward others? What we say as well. I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to tell people what to do. I am asking people here and particularly in the podcast audience to consider this and bring it to the Lord and let him tell you what to do. I'm not going to, because I'm not going to become my own worst enemy and tell people what to do. They need to look at the scripture, listen to this article, read it on, read the full one, and then bring it to the Lord. This article was published on September 27, 2021. It's called The Five Biblical Principles for Social Media. The author is Rob Brockman, and so people know he has the creds, so to speak. He's the associate pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Orillia, Ontario. He has his Bachelor of Religious Education Pastoral Studies from Tyndale College and Seminary in Toronto and is working on his Master's of Divinity at Heritage Cemetery in Cambridge. And so I want to read excerpts from it. This is, he says some of the things that I've been concerned about myself. And I'm going, not going to messianize this or add messianic terms I may add it secondary but I'm going to read it as it's written because that's the right and ethical thing to do the Bible was written far before the invention of the internet cell phones and Twitter however the scriptures have plenty to say about how we ought to engage as Christians in the public square they are after all profitable for teaching us how to be equipped for living as Christians, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Much of what Peter, Paul, and James wrote to the first century church is as relevant for Christians on Facebook today as it was for Christians in their social interactions then. Do you realize that you are responsible for your online behavior as much as you are responsible for your in-person behavior. There is no distinction between the character of your online avatar and your in-person character. So basically he's saying God will judge us 
and hold us responsible for how we behave online as much as in person. And I wonder if he's also saying, are you a different person online as you are in person, which is hypocrisy. If this is the case, then what can we glean from the scriptures and how we are to behave in the online public square? I'm not going to read every all the five. People can read that on their own. But under the heading of Don't Instigate Quarreling, he writes, It is no great surprise that much of what is posted online is geared towards stirring up controversy for the sake of getting eyes on content. One of the goals for people online is to drive traffic to websites and to create online presence. One of the surefire ways to accomplish this is by stirring up debate. However, did you know the Bible commands Christians to avoid stirring up controversy? And I'll read Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, so we see it in context, because I think he misses one thing here. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That doesn't always sound like social media. And I guarantee you, if Paul was to make some of these statements in churches, like be submissive to rulers and authorities, and I understand there's a balance to that, that would start a riot in many churches. Over and over throughout the New Testament, quarreling is seen as an ungodly behavior to be left behind. In fact, a few verses later in Titus chapter 3, verse 10, Paul will encourage Titus to warn people who stir up division and controversy and, if necessary, avoid them because they are warped and sinful. The Bible knows nothing of Twitter hot takes. The Bible knows nothing of Facebook rants. Do your tweets often stir up debate? Do you often have to mitigate fallout after your posts? Do you often dogpile? I love that phrase. Do you often dogpile onto other people's posts? Are you drawn to controversy? If so, ask yourself, what is motivating your posts? In many cases, there may be sinfulness behind it. And I seen that this week when I someone a woman in the Messianic movement passed away, and she made a statement on Facebook asking people to consider something, and people basically dogpiled all over her comment. And she's now home with the Lord, but people have to live with the fact that that's their last comment toward her. And so let's check out our motives and think twice before posting. Uh, under don't be impulsive, much of what gets us into trouble online is that we post out of a moment of frustration, a buildup of irritation, or a gut reaction to something we see. This lack of self-control and discipline is repeatedly identified as the fruit of the flesh, not of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, chapter, verses 22 through 23, on the fruit of the Spirit. Impulsivity is a symptom of sin and ought not to be how we act as Christians. James Jacob, chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. And the Bible says all our righteousnesses is filthy rags. We're saved by grace. Under the title of don't be respectful, disrespectful, excuse me, he writes, it is inevitable that engaging in quarreling and slander online will lead to hostility and tension. The fruit of hot takes and ranting are often anger, vitriol, ad hominem remarks, and hostility. And to those who don't know what an ad hominem remarks, it's an attack against the person. Rather than giving a discussion that deals with their points, you just attack the person and call them names or whatever, or use cute sayings that attack the person. That's not a valid argument point. Consequently, such behavior is condemned by the apostles and people who participate in these things are to be reprimanded. These kinds of conversations can easily devolve into insults and sarcasm. Again, the apostles' teaching on this is crystal clear. Paul in particular, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 22, excuse me, chapter 2 verse 23 through 25 says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So we can stand up and be bold, but we have to do it in a non-quarrelsome manner. As Paul said, patiently enduring evil, which they did in the first few centuries remarkably well at the cost of their own life. Going on with the article, the author says, I can hear the responses already, but Christians are to be marked by boldness and courage. Jesus flipped tables in the temple. Okay, but Christians are also to be marked by kindness, patience, gentleness, and respect, right? You cannot sacrifice kindness and gentleness on the altar of boldness. The scriptures do not allow such hermeneutical leaps. We are not Elijah before the prophets of Baal. We are not the Old Testament prophets sarcastically taunting Israel. These are narrative stories, not behavioral commands. In other words, what he's saying is they're, they're, they're narrative stories, but they're not doctrine. They're examples to us, but that's what they are. They're an example of their life. They're not doc, their lives are not doctrines. Doctrines are a reflection of God's character. We are the people Paul is writing to when he says we are to be correcting his opponents with gentleness. The New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, is not murky on this issue. Christian, be respectful and gentle, always. We are meant to be an example of honor among the watching world so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. And in closing this article, there's a lot more I won't say. He says, there is nothing that social media can give you that is better than gospel purpose. And he says that after talking about the fact that we can become addicted to computers and social media thinking it will be our answer, when in fact the gospel is our answer. 
There's nothing on social media that can give you that is better than gospel purpose. Having said this, I'm still convinced that social media can be used in a God-honoring and edifying way. However, I have also seen how it can also ruin our reputation as Christ followers. We ought to live honorable both in the sight of God and man, and this requires us being honest about our motives behind our social media usage. Jesus warns us that if something is causing you to sin, get rid of it. You can gain all the followers, all the attention, all the controversy, and yet ultimately bring shame and disrepute unto Christ. My prayer is not that these principles would help you as you seek to honor Christ before men, and if necessary, pluck out of the eye that is causing you to sin. And in closing, I want to read Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 out of the Tree of Life version. And I want to clarify, I want to read the first 10 verses so that we see what Paul is talking about about controversy, and I think it's talking about people who dispute on matters of the law, but I think basically it, Paul and Peter, the bottom line over their several scriptures is to deal people who are contentious and quarrelsome to avoid them no matter the topic. And actually in uh, some circumstances, congregations should be, ex and when a person becomes contentious and we reason with them and patiently endure them, but at some point they may need to be asked to leave. But that's, you know, a process. Remind Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Remind the people, be submitted to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. That alone would cause controversy in some you know, on Facebook. To slander no one without fighting, gentle, showing cur every courtesy to all people. For we also once were foolish, disobedient, deluded, enslaved to various desires and pleasures, spending our lives in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And that's why Paul says we need to patiently endure people who are different, because we were like that once. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, not by deeds of righteousness which we had done ourselves, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the mikvah of rebirth and renewing of the Ruach HaKodesh, whom he abundantly poured out on us through Messiah Yeshua our Savior, so that being set right by his grace, we might become heirs with the confident hope of eternal life. Trustworthy is the saying, referring back to what he said. Trustworthy is the saying, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have put their trust in God may be careful to devote themselves to good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for people. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about Torah, for they are unprofitable and useless. Dismiss a quarrelsome person after a first and second warning, knowing that such a person is twisted and is sinning. He is self-condemned. Blunt talk. 
Father, in Yeshua's name, I ask that you would take this word as imperfect as I have delivered it and that you would minister to people in the way that only you can. And I ask that you would speak to people's hearts and reveal to them where they are right and where they are wrong. And I'm speaking to myself because none of us are perfect. And I just ask that you would help us to grow into your image because that is our destiny, is to grow into the image of his son. And I ask that you would take the fruit of this scripture in James chapter 3 and manifest it in our life in Yeshua's name. Amen.